Okay, well, welcome to episode number two of Grace on Tap. I'm Mike Yeagley. And I am Evan Gertner. Uh, today, we're, we're going to, as we do on every episode, we're going to be enjoying a beer as we talk a little bit about some Lutheran theological documents. Uh, today's beer is Shorts Brews Kolsch 45. So we've got Kolsch 45 on tap, and we also have some wonderful grace on tap today as we look at the 95 Theses. Coming up ahead, but not quite yet, we're going to be talking about did the 95 Theses actually get posted on the Castle Church doors? Now, in a way, you know, and that's a, that's a great teaser. We could get, that would be almost a whole episode on itself. We're not going to dive into that. We will give you some resources if you're interested in diving into that and hearing both sides. Great resources. So let's, let's, let's sort of review. Let's take a few minutes to review uh, what are indulgences? This is the, the whole 95 theses are talking about the indulgences of the Catholic Church, the Pope's indulgences to support the building of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Uh, what, what are indulgences? So an indulgence is the permission to relax or to commute the satisfaction of a contrite sinner. It's a medieval theological development that looks at when a person confesses their sin and they receive absolution, the guilt of their sin is removed, but not the penalty. That's what they were understanding in the medieval ages, that your penalty for that sin, the temporal penalty, remains. And that temporal penalty is something that would hold a person back in their freedom of life. It would give them a sense of despair and a sense that their forgiveness was not yet full. Even though the guilt had been removed and it was shared with them that the guilt was removed, the penalty was not removed. So an indulgence was a relaxing or a community of the penalty. Nowadays, people probably when they hear forgiveness in the church do not split guilt and penalty. They think, my sins are forgiven, I have forgiveness. Period, full stop, end of the story. But in Luther's time, there was a distinction made between guilt and and penalty, and the indulgence was related to a relaxing of the penalty. Right, and and so there was this this idea that by buying an indulgence. Now, this actually goes back last last episode. You can go to episode number one. We talked a little bit about the structure of of Catholic medieval Catholic penance, and in that there was when you go to penance had three parts to it. It had contrition that you had to you had to feel bad about what you did. You had to have confession where you went to a priest and you physically said, "This is what I did." You had to say it out loud. You had to say it out loud. And then number three was satisfaction, and satisfaction was doing. There was all sorts of things. It could be prayers. It could be giving alms to the poor. And one of those things that would be under the category of satisfaction was you could buy an indulgence, and that was what this. This whole thing uh, really began around. And, and then after doing all of that, a person could then have confidence. Yeah. But f- there would be so much concern that you hadn't done enough that you would live in a state of doubt. Right. And indulgence was intended to give comfort to the doubting soul, that there is a relaxing, there is a comfort, there is plenty of merit from the saints to share with those who had not yet done enough. Now, 
the character of an indulgence may have started with the Crusades, that the people who would go on those Crusades would receive an indulgence um, in response to their work. Um, then, as the time goes on, an indulgence is granted for many other things as well. And generally, the indulgence was connected to an act of piety, an act of devotion, an act of good work that a person had done. Um, but as works are less driven by love and more driven by fear, then there is the place for the paper indulgence that can be bought. Right. And so that's where the problems start. Now, what ended up happening was you ended up having, there were two things that were going on. You had this, this doctrine of indulgences that is out there. Everybody sort of agreed on it and things were moving forward and it wasn't it wasn't causing huge problems yet. But then the, the church, the Catholic church, the Pope, found himself in a financial squeeze. And he really needed some serious cash to do something. He really wanted to build St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And so what ended up happening was he realized that, gee, you know, I, I, can, I can do this. One of the ways we can get a little bit of money coming in is to sell papal indulgences to the people. And, and so there was another part of that. So what the, that was the Pope's perspective. There was this guy, right, uh, uh, Albert of Mainz, Archbishop Albert of Mainz. He was a part of a royal family. His brother already held a noble position as elector of Brandenburg. And then Albrecht of Mainz, he was in a position to be the Archbishop of Mainz and of Magdeburg and the Bishop of Halberstadt. And to get those three positions together, he had to essentially pay for it. Now, to buy a position, simony was it was against the rules. So he did not officially buy the position, but there was a pallium, which was a, a piece of clothing that the archbishop would wear to recognize and signify his position. The Pope charged him a lot of money for the pallium. <laughs> so rather than buying the position of archbishop, he had to buy the clothing. Ah. And he couldn't have the office if he didn't have the pallium. Now, to buy the pallium was really expensive. And he didn't have the money. Albrecht didn't have the money. So he borrowed it from the Fugers. And the Fugers loaned him the money. And when he borrowed the money, he had been given permission to pay back the loan with funds that he would receive through the selling of an indulgence. So so now we have the, the, the Catholic Church, the Pope has this goal of building the great St. Peter's Basilica, beautiful St. Peter's Basilica. He really wants to do that. That coupled and with the, with the Archbishop of Mainz, and his being in debt for you know, to, to really buy his position. And the position was a really important position because it was not only the Archbishop of Mainz. The Archbishop of Mainz had the responsibility to be one of seven voters for the Holy Roman Empire. So he got to elect. He was one of the seven electors to to really get the, the emperor, to pick, figure out who the emperor was going to be. So it was a, a, a position of extreme power. So he started selling the indulgences in 1515. It was an indulgence that had actually been established by Pope Julius II in 1510. And then the proceeds of this indulgence, this jubilee indulgence, were going to go to help build St. Peter's Basilica. Now, Pope Julius II died in 1513, and Louis Leo X revived the indulgence, 
gave Albrecht of Mainz, Albert Albrecht, same guy, okay. the permission to start to sell this indulgence. Albrecht, indebted to the papacy, has the uh, challenge of making this money back. So, so he so, sells the indulgence. So what he did was he got basically the Babe Ruth of indulgence sellers to come in. This guy named John Tetzel. This guy is, he's a rock star. In he could selling. sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. Absolutely. This guy really knows how to sell an indulgence. So he brings him in, and and then you know he's coming into town, into that region to to sell these indulgences, and it's actually John Tetzel that gets Luther's attention. John Tetzel had been selling indulgences for the papacy and the Fugers since 1504. The Fugers were familiar with this guy. In fact, there is. Uh, story that the Fugers, the bankers, had one of their own representatives right next to the, the treasury box that was collecting the money for the indulgences sold. And there was no money going into uh, back corners and alleys. And, and so Luther is sitting in Wittenberg. Now, the, the, the indulgence sellers are not, you know, uh, Tetzel and none of the indulgence sellers are in, uh, invited to Wittenberg. Right, because Frederick the Wise did not allow the sellers of the indulgences in his lands because he had he he had relics right he 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 didn't want he want, he had his own system of people would receive an indulgence by visiting his relics and as they would visit the relics it would make his locations where the relics were kept more famous and more popular increase trade in the marketplaces but so that's electoral saxony ducal saxony which has a duke who's the head of it and he's not an elector but Here's the challenge. Electoral Saxony with Frederick the Wise has the um, inherited responsibility to be one of the electors for the Holy Roman Empire. But his lands are not as wealthy. He doesn't have as many resources. Ducal Saxony, held by a a cousin of his, I think it is, doesn't have that political power, but has some more material wealth in resources of lands. And the Tetzel can sell in Ducal Saxony. Okay, so... So Tetzel's selling over in Ducal Saxony, and then you end up with all the people from Wittenberg, Luther's, basically Luther's congregation, and it's a simplification, but basically Luther's, Luther's peasants, the people who, that he was responsible for and their, their spiritual growth, they're taking off into Ducal Saxony to to buy these indulgences from Tetzel. And he's warning them in sermons. Uh, he's telling people, do not be misled by the indulgences. What is necessary for the forgiveness of sins is sincere repentance and faith and trust in God. Um, that an indulgence, in fact, is more dangerous to one's faith if they believe that they will be saved through this work of theirs rather than by the work of Christ. So we're already beginning to see the beginnings of Luther's theology. But in a minute, we'll be talking a little bit later in this discussion, we'll be talking about uh, the limits of Luther's theology in this time. So the, where, where he remains what he calls a raving papist at the, during this era. Well, he, he has a tough time looking back on his past at the at 1517 time period because he realizes that there's um, seeds of change happening, but he also sees in his own writings that he deferred quite a bit to the Pope more than he would later on. So let's talk about Tetzel. So Tetzel comes into town and into Ducal Saxony, the next door neighbor to, uh, to, to, to Wittenberg, basically. The folks go over there, they buy their indulgences, they come back, and they come back with stories of what, what they're hearing Tetzel say. And, and Tetzel is 
powerful in giving people um, through his words the ability to hear what they want to hear. Right. And so as Tetzel's preaching, he might be as close as he can to what is is okay in the bounds of selling an indulgence. But he does it in such a way that he lets people fill in gaps. Um, and indulgence was supposed to be for uh, the release of your temporal penalty for your sin. And he starts to give people the impression it's bigger than that. Right. That they'll receive plenary, full remission of their sins in in all eternity, and also that they can purchase the remission of penalties for those they love who are in purgatory. Now, this is getting into all the complexity of of Catholic scholastic theology, and we're gonna we're gonna sort of allow you to go do your research on that alone because that that's you, it's a college course to try to understand medieval scholastic theology. There is it's tough. You you have scholastic theology. Just real quick though. The challenge of scholastic theology is how does a person get saved? Is it through the the giving of faith in your heart that inspires you to change your life? Or is it that you are declared righteous by the work of Christ? And this is going to be the move that Luther is going to make. Um, and so as you want to look up scholastic theology, one of the things you might use in your Google search is treasury of merits. You might look at uh, infusion of grace versus imputation. Um, and those are some of the things to look at. Now, as Tetzel's preaching, uh, there's typical indulgence selling. Um, any selling of indulgence is itself just bad news. The whole character of an indulgence was supposed to be the recognition. Recognition, not done beforehand, but that it's on its understanding that a person is doing a good work, that they're pious, that they have acts of love, but... As you move further and further away from an indulgence being a recognition of the faith that a person has, it becomes more its own own beast. Yeah, and, and it's a, it's a sort of scary beast. What what the what what at least the stories Luther heard back from the people who went to see Tetzel. Now there's real questions about what Tetzel actually said there, but what the people walked away with. There were, th- there were three stories that Luther, Luther uh, documents. The first one is that Tetzel says that, hey, whenever you give an indulgence, when money for an indulgence, you buy that indulgence, you can release people from purgatory. And that is, number one, that is not, not good medieval Catholic theology. But he lets people think it. Yeah. And then, and then the second one was the idea that, that you could buy an indulgence for future sins. Which was that Luther documented that, again, Luther is getting all this information from the peasants that are coming back. But the, what he's hearing is that this guy is saying, hey, you know, if you plan on doing a sin, buy, a t- buy an indulgence today and that sin in the future is taken care of. There's a sort of funny story with that one where, uh, where uh, a, a noble of some sort went to Tetzel. He goes, hey, listen, I, I, I want to I buy an indulgence for a future sin. And, and Tetzel says, sure, sure, here you go. And so he buys him the indulgence. Tetzel gets his money. He walks away. And then a the, little bit down the road, the, the noble basically you know, jumps him, beats him up, takes his money and says, oh, by the way, this is the, this is the future sin I was thinking of. It brings a whole little kind of like from the TV show, The Fringe or this new Timeless, what future and time travel could do. If, <laughs> you know, if I could ta- time travel ahead and have forgiveness for all of my sins, what do I do? So, so this, is, this is the type of thing that's going on. And then the, the worst one that really upset Luther and, 
and everybody who heard it was the idea that if if somebody raped Mary, that they they could get forgiveness through the purchase of an indulgence. So so there's all these these crazy things that people are walking back from these meetings with where Tetzel's teaching. They're walking back into uh, into Wittenberg, and they have all these stories that that are are really against the 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 medieval doctrine of 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 indulgences now what's what's sort of interesting about this is luther he's going to have a, a a scholarly discussion on indulgences and you know what is the proper role of indulgences in the catholic church and it's interesting to think what expectations for controversy he had because in september so october 31st 1517 is the posting of the 95 theses the distribution of the 95 theses to albrecht of mainz in September, he had posted a thesis, set of theses for scholastic theology, the very foundations upon which indulgences are built on, and people didn't catch the significant weight of the argument that's going on in September. It's not till he is discussing the practical application of the theology in the 95 theses that people start to say, hey, wait a minute. Let's start thinking what is going on in the very foundation. So he started with wanting to talk about the foundation problems of scholastic theology in September. No one paid attention at all to those 97 theses. Now, I want to take a moment and and just my understanding, and Evan, please correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of scholastic theology is what they were trying to do is there was this idea that the Aristotle, the, the, the philosophy of Aristotle was a form of truth. And, and everybody was very excited about, in the, in the Middle Ages, about the, the rediscovery of Aristotle. Yeah, 12th century, uh, the Arabic community brings Aristotle into Spain. It is uh, something surprising to us, but the Greek philosophers were essentially lost to Western Europe until the Arabic community brings it back through Spain. Um, Aristotle gets shared, and it becomes a way for them to understand both St. Thomas, Aquinas, and Aristotle, and this role of, of natural thought, this role of reason, and it almost becomes that the scriptures and reason must match. Right. And now this is this is critical because what scholastic theology did was it said, okay, there's different kinds of truth. There's scriptural truth and there's Aristotelian truth, we'll say. You know, there's, yeah. there's logic and there's scripture. And, and both of them come from God. All truth comes from God. And so, all, so, so they're if equal. If all truth comes from God, if all truth comes from God, then God is accountable to truth. Which right. is, that right there is going to be a hang up. This is the specific point that Luther was getting into in his attack on scholastic theology. And this whole idea of indulgences grows out of scholastic theology. So you can sort of see the structure in Luther's head on what's going on. He sees the indulgences of the, the fruit of the tree, and he sees scholastic theology as the trunk. And he, so he, has, he really puts the indulgences at, at a, really a secondary level, by far secondary, he really didn't expect this kind of blow up over this, but really it's where the rubber hits the road for the common folk. It might help us understand how theolog theologians can talk for a long time about the concepts, but when it starts to affect people's pocketbooks, 
Then they start talking. And so he, he's in September 1517. Uh, he's got a student, one of his favorite students, Bartholomew Bernhardi of uh, Feldrick. Uh, and he they have some scholastic theses they want to talk about. And they're introducing a competitor to Aristotle. And that's Augustine. Right. Augustine, a great theologian of the early church. And Augustine had to debate Pelagius. And the, and Pelagius was this, this priest that had questions about how a person is saved and the role of good works. And Augustine did a wonderful job of establishing that we are saved by the grace of God. So so Luther is really pulling up Augustine. So Augustine was, what, 400 A.D., something yeah, in that neighborhood? Yeah, century there. Yeah, so so he's pulling up the old teachings from Augustine and 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 really marshalling them to do battle against Aristotle and and sort of come up with uh, uh we'll say you know put logic in its rightful place in 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 the in, in we'll say uh in in theology in so logic becomes in service to the grace of god rather than an equal or a trump now an exciting thing to think about is Martin Luther is a professor in Wittenberg talking about Augustine. He is so inspiring in the way that he is pulling confidence from Augustine that Andreas Karlstadt, the head of the, the theological department pretty much in Wittenberg, says, I've got to read more about Augustine. He buys his first set of, of uh, the works of Augustine to learn more. And, and then he becomes really a partner with Luther. For a time, and then they have a break. Right, that's, that's down the road. That's down the road as we look at uh, Junker Jorg, uh, Knight George, and the whole Warburg. We'll hear <laughs> yeah, about Karlstadt. So, so this is all going on. So now we've got we've got the situation, and I'm going to just have a quick, just bring it all back together again. Let's try and pull this. So, so you've got you've got indulgences going on. You've got Tetzel selling those indulgences in Ducal. Ducal Saxony, right? Or, mm-hmm. And, 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 and so, around all of Albrecht of Brandenburg, wherever Albrecht of Mainz has authority. He, okay. Johann okay. Tetzel selling them. So Johann Tetzel selling there. Uh, Luther, at the same time, is very upset. He's, he's really gearing up for a fight on scholastic theology. Not really interested in indulgences so much until he starts seeing these people come back with this horrible theology coming and the, the regular folks are coming back and he decides, you know what? I'm going to take on indulgences. It'll be just a quick little fight, not a big deal. And then we'll get back to the big issue of scholastic theology. So he goes and, and he distributes the 95 theses. Now here's the question. There's a real big, and this is another could be, like I said, could be its own podcast. There are two different ideas on, on the posting of the 95 theses. Yeah, so there were some books written that, uh, in the, especially around the 1960s, that were debating the question of the 95 theses ever being posted uh, on the Castle well, Church doors. Right, and the, and 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 instead saying that he had just sent a letter to Albrecht of Mainz, and it's almost as if saying Luther was quiet about it, and it's someone else that manipulated Luther to become political. But the thing is that Luther, even a couple weeks, even before Albrecht of Mainz reports having received the 95 Theses, they're already being published throughout Europe. And so how does everybody else get them? Well, one thought is, yeah, they're posted on the castle church doors and they're being distributed through this wonderful thing of the Gutenberg Press. I want you to see some geography in your mind right now. There is a street in Wittenberg 
and it's the main street, and the Augustine Monastery where Luther lives is there on one end. He walks down the street, he'll pass by the city church, and he'll keep going. The city church is about halfway down the way, and he keeps going. He gets to the castle church doors. That's The castle church was the place where Frederick the Wise had a castle, but it's also noteworthy that that's where the school was. And so there he is at the university. The castle church doors are where the official posting of theological debates were placed. Now, theses was uh, were a regular part of the university setting. In fact, the scholastic theses that we were talking about just a bit before were a part of Bartholomew's uh, articulation, matriculation as a doctor of theology. A student had to present theses. Now, this isn't something like we think of as being a a doctoral thesis. This is something a little bit, this is a lot different, right? Yeah. So like my doctoral work was a couple hundred pages. Each thesis is a sentence. So when we say there's 95 theses, it's not like he's got 95 documents that are each a couple hundred pages long with 20 pages of uh, background notes. No, each thesis is about a sentence. And and the idea is is that he's putting these sentences out there, 95 different positions that he's scoping out, and he's prepared to defend all 95. Is that right? Uh, yeah, and each one kind of leads to the next. Even the way they're constructed, it might be and then. They, they flow from one to the next. It's hard to even take one thesis out of the 95 and see it as its own because they're very much connected to the ones before and after them. They're, they're points of theological debate. And later in 1518, Luther will write a much more detailed explanation of each thesis, a couple paragraphs, a couple pages on each thesis. And he writes that detailed explanation um, because people are more and more asking, Luther, what do you mean? What do you mean? Tell us more. And so in 1518, Staupitz, who's the head of his Augustinian order, says, Luther, you got to write more. Okay. Okay. So, so these, these theses are just sort of like, um, you know, I am willing to go into the arena and defend these positions is what, what, and that's typically what they would do is the, like you mentioned, um, uh, Bartholomew, uh, Bernardi, right? He, what Luther did was he worked with Luther worked with Bartholomew, came up with these theses, and then it was Bartholomew's job to go into the into the arena, the 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 rhetorical arena, and defend these positions against any comers. Yeah, so that was the September Scholastic the- Theses, and the ninety five theses are written by Luther. In fact, often the theses that a student would defend were written by a faculty member, and then it was the responsibility of the student to present them and debate them. Okay. And okay. so but the 95 theses we know were written by Luther himself and to he be was presented by himself. And he was personally prepared to to defend these 95 theses. But the debate never happened, right. interestingly. Right. Um, a sort of debate around the 95 theses happens in Heidelberg and that's going to be an episode later on. Give you an example of the format. Here's how they start. Uh, There's an opening paragraph. It says, Out of love and zeal for truth and the desire to bring it to light, the following theses will be publicly discussed at Wittenberg under the chairmanship of the Reverend Father Martin Luther, Master of Arts and Sacred Theology, and regularly appointed lecturer on these subjects at that place. He requests that those who cannot be present to debate orally with us will do so by letter. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. Then okay, we that's, have, that's the opening introduction. That's the opening introduction. Um, interestingly, he spelled his name in the preamble differently than later on. He's, his father was Hans Luder, L-U-D-E-R. Okay. And here in the opening of the 95 Theses, he spells it L-U-T-T-H-E-R. Oh, really? 
Totally. Which is, as we think today, everything is so scripted. Everything, you, you take a spelling bee and all the words are always spelled the same. But even here in the 95 Theses, he's playing with the spelling of his last name. So, so what, give me some examples of non-controversial uh, theses in the 95 Theses. Are there any that are like... Well, it's interesting what is non-controversial to me could be controversial to somebody else. Well, that's a good point. Well, number one, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Mike, does that sound controversial to you? Not not really. Not really. And actually, I'd be very surprised if even a medieval theologian would have problems with that one. And they did. Really? Yes, because they understood the word repentance to be specifically applicable to the sacrament of penance. And the contrition of sin, confessing orally one's sin, making satisfaction for that sin, and then receiving absolving. He takes the word and significantly expands the scope of it. Repentance for Luther is no longer one single act one may do before arriving at the sacrament of the altar, but is now the very character of faith. Okay, okay. So so, so really, almost every... Men, it starts men, big. It starts big. It, 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 a complete redefinition of what me, what is meant by repentance. And in case no one caught the weight of what he says in that very first thesis, number two, the word cannot be understood as referring to the sacrament of penance because that's just confession and satisfaction as administered by the clergy. So, okay, so so he came out swinging. He came out swinging, and he he knows that the the debate is about. How are our sins forgiven? Is the role of the pastor or the priest necessary? Okay. And if it's necessary, is it necessary just for uh, guilt of sin? Is it necessary for the penalty of sin? And is that just a temporal concern, a this here now life concern? Or does the priest, the pope, the church have authority as well in the afterlife? So this is, I mean, right out of the gate, Luther is, is really questioning the role of the church in the spiritual life of the individual. And and then he rolls back from making it super big, like the church has got it all wrong, and he thinks it must be just that Tetzel is confused. Because Theses 5 says, The Pope neither desires nor is able to remit any temple, any penalties except those imposed by his own authority or that of the canons. He, he is certain that the Pope must not know what is mistakenly being said by Tetzel. Because if the Pope knew, surely, surely he would do something different. Now, that uh, part of the reason for that, and we'll probably get into this in the next episode, uh, but the part of the reason for that is the Pope actually released uh, some, uh, I don't know if it was a papal bull or, or some, sort of, uh, 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 some sort of document where the Pope basically said a lot of the things Luther was saying in his 95 Theses. The, the role of the Pope in forgiving sins and releasing uh, people from the, the weight and the guilt that they're carrying, I, I think there is some desire within the church, and I think this is the happy joy that the Holy Spirit can be at work wherever His Word is proclaimed, that where the Word of God is proclaimed, even someone who has bad theology will say some right things. Right, and so what we've got here is... Just, I mean, not too long before all of this, the Pope released uh, the, a, a document that was, if I, I'm going to have to, I hope I don't get this wrong, but it, it was something along the lines of against the excesses of the indulgence sellers, I think was the name of the document. And, and so he, he's really, the Pope has serious concerns 
about the indulgence sellers. But what ended up, my guess is maybe that document was released prior to his desire to build St. Peter's Basilica. And so, you know, when, when the, when time came to, for the rubber to hit the road, he, he was a little bit more flexible than, than, uh, than he was originally, but that maybe that's, that's a whole discussion. In Churches itself. always get creative at times of capital campaigns. <laughs> when, uh, with churches raising money to expand, um, you find quickly that a bake sale can only do so much, right? You can only sell so many brownies that you, you start to say, well, what other ways can we get people to give money? And unfortunately, when giving money is related to a person's salvation and security and certainty of salvation, well, there you're always going to have problems. Right, right. So, so well, now we're we're coming to the end here. Let's let's just quickly go through. The, the next episode is going to be talking all about the response, the, the immediate response to the 95 Theses. And really, we're going to be talking about three documents in particular. And so it's going to be sort of a, uh, we're going to have a, a trifecta here. We, there, there are three documents. The first one is Luther's Sermon on Indulgence and, uh, uh, Sermon on Indulgence and um, uh, Grace. Sermon on Indulgence and Grace, where what Luther does is he, because this whole thing blew up, right, in 1518, in addition to the more detailed writing that that Evan mentioned a few minutes ago, Luther has a short sermon, relatively short sermon, where he talks about the main points he's getting at. And it's really for the laity. He takes this this real, you know, uh, uh, I'll say, uh, uh, scholastic concept of of the theses and... and, uh, all of this academic uh, discussion, and he boils it down into something the regular folks can understand. Also, the other two documents that we're going to be talking about is going to be the letter that Luther wrote to Albert of Mainz, or Albrecht of Mainz, and then his letter to the Pope. And as those letters will just help us figure out the context that Luther was expecting his 95 Theses to be heard in, what impact did he expect? Now, the, the, the funny thing is, is that the, the 95 Theses, uh, and I, I was going through and, and looking at, uh, you know, to prepare for this, this discussion, I was trying to understand the modern Catholic ideas on indulgences. And, you know, one of the things that I found this great article where Pope Francis says, indulgences are plenty. You know, everybody gets, you know, I'm opening up the doors and we're giving indulgences away as to as many people as we can give them away to. We And it's going back to what almost a, very similar to what Luther was asking for, right? That, that this idea of indulgences is meant to give comfort to people rather than, you know, being something that's sold on the street. Yeah, around World Youth Day, the, the Pope had declared that anybody that would pray for and remember the youth would receive an indulgence. Right. So, you know, very generous with indulgences. Now, as we talk about indulgences, that's going to get us to, all right, so is there ever a reform of indulgences that could be effective? Is there a way to lift up and say, all right, let's roll back Tetzel's preaching. Let's get away from the scare tactics. Let's get away from the idea that it's a, a get out of jail free card that you could pick up in Monopoly. And is there a way to say a, an indulgence is a good way to recognize the good works and devotion that people can do? And we're going to find out. It gets us to talk about certainty. It's going to get us to talk about how does a person know they're saved. When you have questions about your salvation, where do you turn? Now, and this is really... 
you know, the Luther, what the answer Luther came up to, and we'll, we'll just, you know, as we work through all of this, at this point in Luther's career, he thinks that there's room for indulgence, there's room for for the, the sacrament of penance, and there's room for this 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 great grace uh, that that he's that fifteen he's seventeen. That's still there, but even by fifteen eighteen, he, he's setting it aside, and he just doesn't see any reform possible. Right, but the, right at this point, and actually, well, in in the letter, especially to Albert of Mainz, I think. Uh, he, he some of the some of his verbiage there, some of the things Luther says is really shocking to Lutheran ears, you know. And, and so, so we'll 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 get into all that. That's going to be all in the next episode. So uh, I think right now let's let's wrap this up. And I I think we're you know as always we we uh, we want to say first of all thank you to uh, to the folks that are really helping out here. We got we got Josh. Uh, my wife Maria is has done a lot of the legwork and helped me find a lot of this information. Um, I want to say thanks to St. Paul, uh, St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamburg, Michigan, and their support. Yep, and we've found some helpful resources: Wengert and Leppin in the Lutheran Quarterly. Kurt Holland has a book. Uh, it's a, a quick, simple book. It's maybe just 120 pages or so about the 95 Theses, and about 65 percent of them are the actual documents that Luther wrote. About or that were written about the 95 Theses. A great, great book for this kind of discussion. And the American edition of Luther's works uh, held copyright by Fortress uh, and CPH. Uh, volume 31 is where you can find the 95 Theses uh, and also then the introduction to Luther in 1518's German edition. He includes detailed explanations of each thesis. Now, the one last thing I want to bring up is that that article... Uh, from Lutheran Quarterly uh, with uh, Weingart and, and Leppin. What that one is discussing, it gets into the details. It's, it's about, I'm going to say about 25, 30 pages, something like that. Uh, and they start talking, both of these guys hold different positions on did Luther literally hammer the 95 theses to the, to the door in, in Wittenberg. And so it's a really great discussion about the history surrounding that specific incident. And I, I, if you're interested in this stuff, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing you are, then you know, really I suggest you, you download that. It's free on the internet. Just do, do a search on Weingart and Lippin and, uh, uh, and, and, and pull it down. Now, Mike, you might not have seen this, but Lutheran Satire posted a picture of uh, a commemorative picture of Luther nailing the 95 theses to the castle church doors in Wittenberg. And what's noteworthy about the picture is that Luther's posting the 95 theses on the castle church doors, but not the doors from 1517, but the commemorative doors that were put up in 1817 that had the 95 theses printed on them in a bronze plaque. And so this commemorative picture of Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses on the castle church doors are the castle church doors from 1817 that have the actual 95 theses inscribed on them. <laughs> the irony of like time being joined together. You got Luther nailing them to a door that already has them on them. Right, right, right. Now, now the the last thing I want to mention is uh, I, actually we, we got through this whole episode and you didn't use any any Greek or Latin, so we didn't do any drinking. No, no, I was thirsty though, so I did do a little <laughs> okay. bit of drinking myself, but no uh, punishment. So the uh, uh, last thing is uh, we we've got uh, uh, email. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at graceontap all one word dot podcast at gmail dot com. That not, that again is graceontap dot podcast at gmail dot com. I guess that's it. So until next time, 
All right. Have a great day, everybody. Enjoy Grace on Tap. (laughs) 